Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello and welcome to this episode of the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and I'm here in the studio with today's guest. He's the CEO of a large firm of chartered accountants based in Worcestershire. And since being appointed as CEO in 2018, he's championed culture change to encourage transparency, collaboration and an employee voice. He also believes in surrounding himself with teammates who can, in his words, do things better than he can. He acts for a range of clients, from startups to large international corporates, and has a particular passion for the tech sector, which has led to embracing technology internally and also the launch of the firm's digital transformation department earlier this year. He is James Siri of Ballard's LLP. I nearly got. <laughs> I nearly gonna, got there. I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> Here's James Siri of Ballard's LLP. Hi, James. How are you doing? Oh, morning, Dan. Nice to <laughs> nice to see you. Good Thanks you for too. having me. That's all right. Sorry about that. Uh, no, that's all right. Uh, of all no. the things to get wrong, LLP should be quite an easy one. Exactly. Really, Given the conversation we just had, yeah, it could yeah, have exactly. been. Uh, it could have been the, the surname. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Uh, so you're at balladsllp.com. Yep. People yep. can go and check you out there, and you're you're pretty good on the LinkedIn, I think. As yeah, well. I think we're sort of as a firm, we're reasonably good on the LinkedIn. I try to stay reasonably active on it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, something I'm still trying to strive to uh, to improve to this day. But yeah. yeah, it's it's a habit thing I've found. You've got to gently get into the habit of doing it, I think. It's almost got to be one of those things you open at the start of the day. Mm. You know, like you do all your sort of all our programmes at work. It's the kind of thing you've got to get on to and, and keep on track of during the day and actually remember to um, uh, to use it as a tool, I think. Yeah, no, um, I think you're absolutely right. And um, yeah, that's pretty much where I've got to with it, but it's taken a bit of time to build that habit. It's kind of like, don't put your pre- too much pressure on yourself to post like, you know, 15 times a week yeah. to start with. It's yeah. like, right, I'll try and do it once or twice. And, and get then... the right balance, I think, between sort of um, generic and technical. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. a bit of fun, but also making sure there's a bit of substance behind it. Yeah, that's right. It's that uh, that line that we, <laughs> we walk on social media, <laughs> isn't it? Indeed. Yeah, cool. Okay, well, we were, we were just chatting before and um, saying how you guys have got, got a podcast, and I thought we'd just start there. Briefly, yeah. if we could, just because I think that's a, a really cool thing that you guys have, you yeah, know, obviously no, moving forward. Yeah, and it's fascinating. You know, uh, it's all been driven by Steve Jones, our BD partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think it's it's great for clients and contacts and professional sort of contacts to be able to understand some of the technical aspects of what we talk about, but in a much more generic sort of layman's terms. So mm-hmm. that, and I think with Steve hosting it. Um, he's able to bring to life sort of practical issues. Mm-hmm. And that's what people want to really understand. You know, they don't want to just understand the technical issues. They want to understand what that means to them yeah. and whether there's anything they've got to do about it. So Steve's really quite skilled in bringing that out of the guys. Mm-hmm. He's been with us for, I think, nearly 10 years now. So right, he's, sort okay. of, he's a non-accountant working in an accountancy business who okay. is now sort of understanding uh, what we're trying to achieve, really. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a great idea. There's someone I follow online who says that 
like every business should treat themselves as a media outlet these days. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, you know, I think the is a modern term insights, is it? Like okay, everyone yeah. seems to be kind of um, going down the insights route. And so we're spending quite a lot of time trying to make create internal content as well. So like the podcast is one of them, but trying to get everyone across the business, um, sort of all the way through the business to write content. Right, okay. Um, okay. Which kind of enables us to bring everyone back to the website and um, have mm. something, have some interesting content to talk about on social media, really. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, it's... Because uh, um, I think, you know, you can repost and retweet and um, put other people's media into the spotlight, but I think there's nothing beats really um, people seeing your own views and understanding, um, do you mm. know, what the people at Ballard's are all about, really. Yeah, um, Rather yeah. than just seeing a retweet of BBC News. Yeah, yeah. And do you kind of uh, give people the time to do that then in the world? Yeah, yeah. So um, Steve's got a really complex sort of marketing schedule, which brings everybody into the business. So he invites people into sessions. So people have yeah, booked cool. in their diary, you know, an hour for writing an insights piece um, on a. And, and I think the great thing about it is we don't really give too much, it's not scripted. We don't say, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to go down this road, you've got to talk about tax you're mm. going to talk about it's just whatever actually they whatever's interesting to them or important to them they can write about so okay, um cool so it's fascinating i was reading one yesterday that's been done by one of the senior managers mm. um on personal finances right just some hints and tips and some issues yeah. around that you know it's um yeah something that's important uh, to him yeah and also like you know from an outsider's point of view who doesn't want to know how an accountant runs their personal finances exactly yeah yeah <laughs> and i think it also if you leave it down to the individual to come up with their own sort of um the area that they want to talk about it's mm. much more natural yeah you know yeah. if you go can you give me a 200 word article to post on succession planning <laughs> you know yeah. it's going to be pretty scripted but you know if yeah, you say yeah. like i want 200 words you choose what you're going to talk about and if it makes if i think it's good enough then we'll put it um put it on the insights you know? yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's great and it gets it gets buy-in from the team as well yeah, you know, yeah it's not just team just doesn't just see it as the partners doing all the marketing and business development mm -hmm. um so i think and that hopefully starts to build a bit of a culture through the business of um of uh, taking ownership for stuff which ordinarily you'd see that it being the really top senior leadership team only doing. Yeah, yeah, and I, I guess also you kind of get to know your team a bit better as well through that. So I exactly. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and, and clients, you know, they, they mm. get to see, um, um, you know, they'll be able to go, oh yeah, I saw you. It was James Burke who put an article out, and you know, so his clients will now um, be a good topic of conversation when they um, when yeah. they come to get together. Yeah, and just feel a little bit more connected and feel sure. that no like classic no like and trust Absolutely. thing that gets used yeah. <laughs> too much. Yeah, yeah. Not an added value. Yeah, there we go. There we go. I'm trying not to value. say added value too many times today. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I know. It's too easy to slip into that, isn't it? We're going to add some value yeah. and give people some takeaways. <laughs> well, I prefer value bombs. That's what the Americans say. Bombs. We're going to drop some value bombs on this podcast. <laughs> they sound a bit cooler when yeah, they say no, it, don't they? It's... Uh... Americanisms and Australianisms. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But um, um, no, that's cool because you, you know, like um, it's that classic thing when people, any business, and I've had loads, talked to loads of businesses about this. Um, they sort of think there's no content 
you know, they think what they do is, is boring and even people that are doing what I would think is quite something quite interesting because yeah. they're there seeing it all the, all the time and all day, they think, well, no one's going to be interested in this. Yeah. And, you know, accountancy could be an absolutely classic case of that, couldn't it? But you've and, found a yeah. way to... And you also, you, I think if you're not careful, it's easy to forget like that what's sort of intrinsic to your sort of mind and everything you know you know it, it however trivial yeah. actually if it's from a if it's, it's if it's from from our perspective from an accountancy or advisory perspective you know never think it's too trivial mm-hmm. you know because mm-hmm. actually knowledge that you've and the team have gained over however many years they've been in practice you know is um might be second nature to us but actually to somebody else is actually new yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and isn't trivial. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think it's uh, it's that that's key for when trying to um, sort of talk to clients about their um, sort of performance and sort of mm. um, and year end accounts is to make sure you know that um, that they actually understand it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, um, yeah. No, absolutely. No, that's 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 really cool. So. Um, you grew up in Worcestershire, I think. I did. did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, was uh, lived in Droitwich. Okay. Um, all of my childhood. Yeah. So we, um, yeah, we only moved. I think we lived four doors. We only we moved four doors up the road when I was about yeah. two or three, I think. <laughs> so, like, the removal Keeping men were local. pretty pleased, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I was. Um, so we so always lived in Joyrich and then um, went to school in Worcester okay. um, with yeah. my uh, brother and two sisters. So, okay. uh, so one of four. Right. Okay. Cool. So, uh, Excellent. Eldest eldest son, but sort of two older sisters. So okay. I got, so I got an old, okay, uh, two older sisters and a younger brother. Two and two. Yeah. Oh, cool. So uh, which was pretty cool for growing up. You know, yeah, it yeah. meant that we could sort of fight and do boy stuff, and the girls could do. Uh, um, could uh, could could um, tell us off. Yeah, <laughs> and then you still got that big group to yeah, kind yeah. of come and my, together. And, yeah, uh... yeah. And my old man was an, an accountant as well. Oh, was he? Okay. So, uh, right. so um, we were all exactly two years apart. Okay. So right. uh, good for uh, good for school years. Yeah, yeah. So oh, um, excellent. So yeah, and then um, so yeah, all my childhood in Droitwich and went into school in Worcester um, until I was eighteen. Okay. Um, and um, we actually, because I was big into rugby when I was younger, mm-hmm. so we um, uh, went. Uh, we actually played rugby in Bromsgrove, okay, which was quite sort of different for everyone else. Sort of piled into Worcester Rugby Club, whereas right, okay. we had some friends that went to Bromsgrove Rugby Club, so uh, okay. we sort of went that way to Finstall Park. So, um, which was quite good, really, because because we did play so much rugby at school, it mm. was nice to actually have a different group of people we played with um outside of school yeah, um, yeah. so we sort of built up uh friendship groups oh, and a cool. lot of my sort of friends through life have been well still got a good group of friends from school um but a lot of friends through sport yeah okay. so and, and i think that kind of um i suppose joint common interest i suppose in something holds people together doesn't it oh yeah definitely yeah, yeah. similar interests usually so um yeah um, no we had so the, yeah we had a similar thing so yeah I, I grew up playing rugby as well Did and you? uh 
Yeah, yeah. We we <laughs> we started off. We had one year. We were really good. This was for a club, right? Like similar similar idea. Yeah. And uh, we decided that we were doing well because we were so good socially. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You created so we decided a bond. to really really hammer yeah, yeah. the social side uh, yeah. after that. And uh, yeah. yeah, didn't didn't do the rugby so good. Yeah. Well, I kind of so I used to be a scrum half. So and okay, so I was I'm, wondering what position. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. What were you? Okay. Uh, fly half, but were you? not a great fly half. If I'm honest, <laughs> I preferred being a little bit. Further out, actually, like sense inside centre or, or even wing. She didn't want to get too dirty. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> didn't want to have to think too much. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny when when I get agitated about anything. Steve that works always tells me stop being scrum halfish about it because you know scrum okay. halves have got a bit of a tendency to be a bit um bit shouty, a, a bit shouty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, no. So I yeah, so I played. A lot of rugby when I was at school, right? Okay. And then, I, and then we played at a club as well. So, um, okay, which I absolutely loved. Yeah. Um, and then in our, in the sixth form, I actually broke my sort of hand slash thumb, right? Which kind of gave me a bit of time away from rugby. Yeah. And actually, a bit of time to focus on exams and stuff, which was probably not a bad thing. <laughs> Did you need that? that time? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was on an August birthday. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Um, what's your date? 11th. Okay, 28th. Oh, yeah, so you're even younger for the year. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mum reckoned it always, it probably took me until GCSEs to catch up. Yeah, right, um, yeah, yeah. Do you know, because I think, and my wife would say the same, you know, it's, the age gap is quite a big thing when you're uh, up until sort of, I think, early teenage years. Well, yeah, it's a big, um, big it's percentage a, of a, your life, isn't it? It's a massive percentage <laughs> of your life. Like, we see it with our, our, our children, one's a May birthday, and yeah. one's a November birthday. Yeah. Now, and I think the second born is probably always a slightly more advanced than the first born. Yeah. But, you know, you see how much more ready she is for school and she's not going to start for another sort of 18 months. Mm. You know, mm. it's uh, you can see that there's a real change in, in development and that's got to take its sort of toll as you go through school. So I didn't... I never struggled at school, but, you know, it probably wasn't until... Um, GCSE and A level that I really got into my stride, right? Okay. If you like. Okay. So um, yeah. never top sets throughout the early years, but yeah. Um, you know, I got three Bs at A level, which is yeah, reasonably yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, got me to where I wanted to go to. Yeah. Um, and probably though, perform better post school. You know what I mean? Probably okay. as yeah. I sort of um developed, and I loved love school. No, absolutely, really, really enjoyed it. But the, um, mainly the sports side or the whole thing? Yeah, just the, the a lot. You know, we we did lots of um, the lots of extracurricular stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I had some great memories of the Himalayan trip. Right. You know, nice. So um, first, I think it's first lower sixth. I think it was. We um, what was it fifth? Anyway, we were about sixteen or seventeen, and we all went off to the Himalayas for. Nice. Month, nice. We have to say that we got to Everest Base Camp, but um, the trek was three, I think it was three weeks um, yeah. up from Luckler, which is the airport, I'm not sure you've seen it, where you, you basically land on a cliff okay. and you take off on the cliff. Jeez. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, so like for the first hour, we all just stood there watching planes land and take off. Yeah, you know? but, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then we sort of trekked up to... Um, from Luckler to base camp and then it's like a three week trek up and back down wow. again. And um the day that we were supposed to go 
to base camp with really heavy snowfall overnight yeah. and there'd been a couple of avalanches. So I think we were probably about maybe three miles from base camp. Yeah. So I didn't quite get there. Uh. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've looked at some pictures of it and so I can say we could see it, you know. We so, pretty much So there. we trekked to base camp. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what an experience. It was awesome, you know. Yeah. And I think probably immediately did I... I often so sometimes think think it back. Did I really appreciate and understand what it was we were doing at the time? Were we too young? Mm. But I think actually, as I've gone on through life, I've realised how special that was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've got friends who have gone back to that area since, sort of trekking in that area. And, you know, it's changed so much. Yeah. You know, yeah. the little tea huts that were literally tea huts where you could stay if you wanted to, but everyone camped. Mm-hmm. And now almost like B&Bs. Right, yeah. You know, so there's yeah. been so much more commercialization. So yeah, even so. in the um what twenty years since since then. Yeah. So um, um yeah, cool. but so yeah, really I, I kind of coming back to rugby, I kind of burnt myself out a bit of rugby. Yeah, right, okay. So I got a lot of friends at university who hadn't really played rugby at, before. Yeah. And then played a lot of rugby at university. Mm-hmm. Whereas I kind of got to university and was like <laughs> I played a lot of rugby, so I kind of played a bit. I played for the... I went down to Cardiff. Okay. Um, that's where I studied. Yeah. And um, so I played for the business school, um, which was on a Wednesday afternoon. Right, um, yeah. But I uh, had a lot of mates and a lot of Welsh, very good Welsh mates who played in the, um, in the university teams. But I think I'd, I'd kind of saturated myself a little bit with it. And yeah. um, so decided I'd sort of take a bit of a backseat on the rugby. I still wanted to be involved a bit, but um, mm. I didn't want to be sort of training two or three times a week and, yeah, yeah, and going sure. down that road. And, um, and yeah, so I kind of, um, I left it there really. I've got some friends who then carried on playing. Mm. But I think the problem is, is then once you start working, you yeah. turn, I have one, one very close Welsh friend who... Um, moved down to London, got into a team down in Seven Oaks, and then, um, you know, he'd turn up to work or turn up at a client's premises with a big black eye, <laughs> you know. And yeah, it's, you, yeah. know you, can ju- you, can, you can you can explain yourself away, but the first impression is a bit, um, you know, um, a bit off. So, um, so yeah. I just sort of decided that I'd, I'd put my efforts into running and trying to keep fit that way, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's got to be your life as well. I think a team sport like that, hasn't it? Because yeah. especially once you get married and you have yeah. kids, it's like, it's cool. But if they've all really got to be into it and come down to the club, because yeah. it's basically all day Saturday, it isn't is, it? It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit like cricket, isn't it? You know, the, yeah, um, yeah. Playing, uh, playing cricket on a Saturday and, um, uh, and my um, wife's father used to play cricket every Saturday. Right, yeah, so yeah. she remembers him not really being there on a Saturday. Yeah. So uh, a bit hungover on a Sunday. A bit hungover on a Sunday. <laughs> I think he was, uh, yeah, uh, more into the um, into the into the um, into the social part of it than the actual um, quality of the cricket. But yeah, um, yeah, you know, it's about being part of something, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and really sort of attaching yourself to it. But um, but yeah, no. So any exercise I na- I do nowadays is about trying to stay healthy rather than um rather yeah. than a, a team sport i actually did um 5k a day for the whole of march oh wow fair play which nearly killed me did it? <laughs> like, seven days seven days a week seven days a week yeah um 5k a day 
Wow. Uh, so I did it. Unfortunately, I hadn't decided I was going to do it until the 1st of okay. March. And I went for a run on the Sunday, which was, I think, the 28th. Okay. So I went for a run on the 28th <laughs> of Feb. So I had to do 30, 32 days straight. And like, I did two weeks absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, this is, this is pretty good. You know, working from home most of the time, it was quite easy to fit the runs in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I could go after school drop-off. I could go early before anyone gets up or I could go yeah. quick, quick run at lunchtime. And then I met a, um, one of the other dads at school and he said, oh, um, I saw you running this morning. Do you fancy going out for a run? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. So I explained what I was doing. And, um, and then... Um, so he said, oh, we'll go on Sunday. So we went for a, uh, went for a run, but it turns out he was a bit, um, a bit quicker than me. Okay. But, but, but in my competitiveness, I didn't want to kind of, as I was leaving the front door, Sarah said to me, my wife said, um, just go steady. You know, I know what you like. And I was like, no, don't be silly, don't be silly. And, you know, I couldn't obviously um, not keep up. <laughs> but it really took like because I'd been running basically for two weeks by that point really yeah. taken it out of me yeah and uh, and suddenly my back was hurting my knees oh, were hurting no. my legs were my hamstrings were hurting <laughs> and I went through this real dark kind of three or four days of thinking have I told how many people have I told I'm going to do this <laughs> can I just stop can I get away with it yeah but, um, but I told I think too many people so I I'd sort of went through it um, but it's amazing the toll it took on me. Like, it right, really, yeah. like, it, I didn't realise it was going to make me quite so tired. And Is that from, so what, what were you doing sort of January, February so in terms I was of doing, running? Well, I'd, done, I'd been doing a lot of running during lockdown. Yeah. January and February, for various reasons, hadn't really done much. Yeah, yeah. So I'd kind of maybe doing, been doing one run a week. Okay. So I'd, so really I'd started to um, <laughs> I started to become a bit more rounded. <laughs> so, a well-rounded runner. A well-rounded man. So, uh, but you know, it was a, and someone said actually when I finished it, I should have done it for charity. So I think I might still make some sort of charity donation to one of our um, charity choices. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm quite sort of headstrong in that once I've said I'm going to do something, right? Okay. I go see it through. Yeah. Um, and super. Super competitive. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's because because me and my brother were so close. In well, we were, <laughs> he was two years younger, which means I always won. But yeah. you always have you were close enough to be for it to be competitive. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, and just and I think school kind of drove competitiveness a bit as well. So yeah. um, I don't think it's I, I think it's a good thing yeah. personally. Uh, I think like. I think it can, like, there are times when, because I, I think I feel a bit like that as well, and there are yeah. times when I'm a bit like, wish I was a bit less competitive and I'd just chill out a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Make life easier. But I think it? it's, I think it's a no bad thing, really. No, and it? I think it's, um, uh, you know, I don't, you see, um, you know, there not being any winners in sports days and oh, stuff no. anymore. And you just, <laughs> like, I have to be careful because my wife's a teacher, so, you know. <laughs> my mum was a teacher, my sister's a teacher. Right, So okay. you have to kind of watch what you say, but... Um, yeah, I think that, I think I do think that children need to learn that, um, you know, if you win a race, you win a race, and if you don't win a race, you don't win a race. Yeah, know? I think so. Um, and everyone needs to be encouraged to take part, and it yeah. shouldn't be done. At, uh, it should never be done to discourage people from taking part. Mm. You know, so. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that um, you certainly we wouldn't want generations coming through not learning that winning is. 
is fun as yeah, and yeah. is enjoyable. And know? it's about what you do with the losing part of it, Indeed. isn't it? And, you, you know, if you can be taught to use that as a positive... Yeah experience to yeah. then improve then no, absolutely. it's surely yeah. a good thing but I use sort of when I'm really struggling with running you know and you've gone out for a long run and you're trying to set yourself a target to um to get back I sometimes set myself like a mental sort of um you know I don't know something will there'll be something will be a positive is if I manage to do that then something else won't happen or there'll be a so no, there'll be a positive in my life if I able to set, set myself something that I want to achieve okay and yeah. almost say if i manage to do this run within so long when you're really sort of struggling yeah then that will happen and almost okay. try and play mind tricks with my uh with myself to okay. uh to get myself um going a bit more but yeah it's um uh always enjoyed competition yeah um, yeah always enjoyed it um, yeah and unfortunately i love competition in golf and just not good enough at golf to really <laughs> compete that's another all day activity <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah my, uh, my golf days are weekdays now you know yeah right yeah, um, yeah. the uh, it's you know it's when you've you know, we've got a young family when you've got a young family you have to make sure especially if you're committed to work mm. um, in the week yeah um, and you know the same before we started living in sort of a village in Northamptonshire and commuting down to, to Worcestershire sort of almost daily. So sometimes, especially in the winter, they're long days. Yeah. And you end up, you know, not necessarily spending quality time with the children. Yeah. Obviously, it's all changed over the last 12 months, but mm. um, I've always tried to make sure that I try and keep my weekends free for, for the children, really. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Because you don't get the time back, do you? And it's no. amazing, it's amazing no. how quickly... The time disappears. Yeah, it's, certainly. Uh, yeah, you turn around and... Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> um, so are we, we, at school, were you kind of... Did you did you know that accountancy was what you wanted to go in because your dad was an accountant or was um, it just you had a natural aptitude for, for maths and that sort of thing? No, um, I'm pretty practical. Okay. Like my, I've got a very practical mind. Mm -hmm. So um, was I exceptional at maths? No, I wasn't no. sort of top set of maths. No, um, but... I, sort of link back to what we're saying you don't really need to be at that age do you to go on and have a very successful career exactly um <laughs> so um i um i was always interested in business okay um yeah. and when i left um left school i went straight and decided to do mo my most enjoyable subject at school was business studies right okay um i didn't do economics i just i just did business studies so it was a natural thing for me to go down to um cardiff and do um Business. It was called business administration. I try. I usually try and leave administration <laughs> off the end of it. But I suppose that's out of the bag now. <laughs> uh, I used to it was, often say business studies or business management. But you know, it was it was a business, it was a very popular course actually at Cardiff because yeah. it it kind of embodied lots of different elements to business. It wasn't just um, it wasn't um, straight accountancy. Okay. It was a lot of organisational behaviour stuff. So um, actually you get to see a lot more of what's involved understanding in how a business. Understanding how business ticks yeah, and okay. what's important and how you get the best out of people. Right, okay. Um, and so so leaving university, I actually had a year off and travelled. Mm -hmm. um, and Where'd you go? Uh, Thailand, Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. Um, so I did a month in Thailand. No, six, maybe six weeks in Thailand uh, with a friend from school. Yeah. Um, which was great fun. Um, we met there were some other friends who were 
around and about as well. So we had a really good fun time. And then I met my cousin who travelled out to Thailand to then do Australia and New Zealand with me. Right, okay. Um, nice. Had a fantastic time in Australia, did all the Whit, Whit Sundays sailing. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fraser, that, yeah. Have you done it? Yeah, That's yeah, awesome, yeah, I did a year it? off and did that a lot, yeah. Fraser Island? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So driving the... Um, I mean, you can't <laughs> imagine it, can you? Like, uh, no. just hiring trucks, like, you know, four-by-four four Jeeps to a bunch of um, travellers who've never driven <laughs> off-road <laughs> with a whole load of sandbanks, which even yeah. the most experienced off-road driver couldn't get up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Uh, so, no, I really enjoyed Australia, but I think my favourite was New Zealand. Oh, uh, yeah, I would second that, yeah, yeah. Just what an, what an awesome country. Incredible, isn't it? Um, yeah. everyone, when I got back, everyone said, what's it like? It was like a better version of Wales. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I kept saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and we hired a camper van, actually. Oh, nice. So we, nice. Um, we kind of did a mixture of staying in the van and staying in... Um, we, did, we, were, we were trying to... We decided we wanted a camper van, but we didn't necessarily appreciate at that point how expensive it was to have a pitch on one of the sites. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we were we were the guys in the lay-by just yeah. 100 yards down from the campsite. <laughs> um, and there was, we had a rule where you didn't use the... Uh, we, we didn't really use the facilities in the van. We yeah, cooked yeah. in it, but we Good tried rule. to find uh, <laughs> other facilities. Um, and, so, and that was... Um, an absolutely phenomenal i think we were the, in new zealand for maybe only four to six weeks yeah yeah um yeah i then, did i did four months australia one you? month new zealand yeah. and i wish i'd have done it the other it. way around yeah. yeah i mean nothing against australia yeah Just did you do all the <laughs> bungee jumping and yeah yeah sky I did, dive and yeah i did bungee jumping and in new zealand yeah i didn't i couldn't get skydiving in new zealand the weather just kept Oh, okay. Kept not playing yeah. for me, but... Um, so I think we did the... Down in Queenstown. Oh, yeah. We did the the triple... Um, I mean, I wasn't that fussed about doing it, to be honest with you, but my brother had been travelling... Coming back to the competitiveness, he'd been travelling, <laughs> like... Um, so he travelled after school. So yeah. he was two years below me, so he'd have travelled... He'd travelled the year before us. Yeah. Um, and he'd done the three bungee jumps. And then... So we sort of, me and my cousin had to do that. It was, uh, and, and I did, I did one that I quite enjoyed the, um, enjoyed the feeling afterwards. I quite yeah, enjoyed yeah. the smaller ones, but there was one enormous one on a cape, on a sort of cable car right, across okay. a valley, yeah. which was just outrageous. <laughs> just, you, you've never, I mean, I just didn't know why I was, st you stand, stood on the sort of, um, the, the sort of um, the launch pad bit. Yeah. And I was just sitting there thinking, why am I actually doing this? <laughs> like, it's not really something I'd... It wasn't really something I was particularly into. Yeah. And But you kind of... The feeling, the adrenaline afterwards, <laughs> you know, that feeling that you'd actually done it and yeah, um, yeah. felt completely pumped. Yeah. Um, and the... Um, we then did the skydive. I think it was at Lake Type. Lake Taupo. Oh, uh, yeah. I think that's where I might have done my bungee jump. Right. Possibly. Okay. I don't know. Can't um, remember. It's a while ago. <laughs> the, um, but I think Richard, my brother, had done a 10,000 foot one. Right. Okay. So we so obviously went, went for the 12,500. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was partly egged on by my cousin. But we, so we got on the plane and we sort of took off and they got us higher and higher. And then <laughs> people were jumping out at different levels. So right, people okay, are paid yeah, to yeah. jump out at different levels. And then the last lot jumped out. And they shut the door and gave us oxygen masks. <laughs> we were like, what are we doing? <laughs> why, why have we agreed to do this um, extra height one? 
Um, and again, it wasn't really something that was on my bucket list, to be honest. Yeah, with you. yeah. Um, but the feeling of free falling, and we we got a video of it. Yeah, and you know that's just that. absolutely epic. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've never done it again. Yeah. Um, but you kind of, I think you lose, you just completely lose um, concepts of what's going on. You know, yeah. you're free falling, yeah. but because we had a cameraman sort of coming around us, yeah, you kind of feel like it's very calm actually in a funny mm. way because once you get into the free fall element of it. Um, it's not until they hit the parachute cord <laughs> that you realise quite how fast you were going. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, the feeling after that, you know, you, you really can't beat it. The it's adrenaline cool. that you yeah. get it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, nice. Um, but yeah, so back to, I was talking about business, wasn't I? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I possibly at some point. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> business. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I think you were talking about studying Yeah, business. so I came out, so after my gap year, I... Um, decided uh so it was quite i was then actually i was sorry i was gonna that's how i was gonna finish it i was supposed to go to america to see a friend okay um but the old man obviously was an accountant and i'd given him access to all my bank accounts (laughs) 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 so he phoned me up i think as i was on the way to the airport and he said does that plane um carry on to Heathrow and I said yeah he said I think you should um, I think you should just get on the uh, the next leg of it because you haven't got any money left <laughs> so um, uh, so after that I kind of I got back and was going to do a ski season um, yeah. but it never really I went out there for a couple of weeks and it didn't really um, I suppose I like quite, I like structure in a way mm-hmm. and I kind of gone out there without having a job to go to okay he just went to I try just and went find something yeah. to the to the i went to val Terenz, um val Terenz, and um i didn't really um maybe i didn't throw my all into it maybe i just enjoyed skiing too much and therefore didn't really focus on trying to get a job right but yeah. never really got um so I ended up coming back after a couple of weeks um but i think in in hindsight it was probably one of the best things I did because then I was in time to apply for graduate roles within accountancy practices. Okay. So I'd right. sort of come to the conclusion at that point that I really wanted to get my accountancy qualification mm-hmm. and at that point wasn't focused about being in practice right. but was really focused on actually thought I wanted to go into industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so the plan was to do three years qualification and then perhaps move um, into a into a uh, industry role and maybe c- climb the corporate ladder um, right. down in London. Um, but I quite quickly realised that, well, my perception was quite quickly that I liked the variety. Okay. And that I was worried that if I was, if I sort of jumped into a role in industry, that whilst um, there was uh obviously going to be variety within that role it was all going to be for the same business mm-hmm. and actually um i enjoyed cross sector um sort of different also looking at different size businesses okay yeah. um so um uh so decided that actually practice was for me mm-hmm. um and so uh, and so stayed in practice after qualifying but um but yeah i i, I trained down in bristol yeah. Um, okay. So, didn't move straight from Cardiff to Bristol. I'd obviously gone home for a bit, mm-hmm. gone back to Droitwich for a bit, um, and yeah, trained at a firm called um, RSM Bentley Jenison, which okay. was a 
I suppose when I joined was probably a, maybe a top 20 firm. It was a firm that was quite acquisitive. So it was constantly growing. So there was constantly new opportunities. Um, mm. It was, um, you know, it was a great place to, to train. There was a great team. Um, and um, it was, it was nice that the, um, it wasn't like university, but we had a young team. Right, um, okay. We had the, the managers um, were reasonably young. And so we had a really great um, team atmosphere. Okay. So we'd yeah, sort of yeah. work together and, and play together a bit. You know, yeah, we'd, yeah. we'd play sport together. We'd play golf. Yeah. We'd go and play football. Mm. We'd go to the pub. Um, nice. When you could go to the pub. Well, <laughs> yeah. we, can get, well we can go to the pub. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um, and, um, and it gave me a really, really good sort of breadth of experience. Yeah. Um, I did a stint in tax. Um, so I went into the personal tax team and filed some tax returns and sort of understood um, the... Because um, it's easy, I think it's difficult sometimes when you, know, you have different departments within different businesses all needing different things from each other. Mm. Actually, under, if you've done a bit of a stint in each yeah, of the areas, good to understand you them. can actually understand yeah. the, the, the pressures yeah, um, yeah. and what's important to those people. Yeah, that just eases all kind of relations yeah. and all communications yeah. and everything. So we it? try and do that at Ballard's a bit. We try and make sure we've got a real um, sort of flow of um, experience of the yeah. team. Um, but yeah, and then I, I'd finished, I qualified down in Bristol and the plan was always, so my um, Sarah is now my wife. Mm -hmm. um, her, the plan was that she was going to move to Bristol. Right. Um, and she was at that point doing, she'd done a bit of a year off. She'd done a bit of traveling. She'd done some work as a teaching assistant. Mm -hmm. And she was going to do a PGCE. Um, hope, and she was hoping to do it at university, at the West of England. Right, um, okay. So Bristol, yeah, yeah. UE. Um, but for one reason or another, it was a very, they seemed to have lots and lots of applicants. So unfortunately she didn't get in. So she ended up studying in Northampton which okay. is where she's from. Right, okay. Um, so I've just seen your mind tick as to why I'm living in Toaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Getting it, <All> right. <laughs> um, and uh, so she never... Um, so we kind of long-distance relationship for about four years whilst I oh, lived in Bristol. Okay. And so at the end of that, when she hadn't got into UE and... She'd done her training up in um, Northampton. She was then going to apply for a job in Bristol. Mm -hmm. But because there were so many there, you had Cardiff and you had Bristol Uni and you yeah, had Uni. Right, okay. And so. I think one time she turned up for his primary school teacher job. There was maybe 200 applicants. <laughs> I think she was being shown around with maybe 50 people for right. one job. <laughs> and you just, it's like tripping them up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and then the school that she'd done her last placement at offered her a job. Right, okay. And so, that so was for it. me, it was like, well, I'm not Makes standing. Sense. Yeah, you have to take that job. Um, yeah. you know, we've, we've, we've lived apart for, for four years. And actually, it was a great decision because it meant that I moved then up to um, Northamptonshire and worked for Bentley Jenison nationally. Right, okay. So I kind okay. of moved into the national role and did some of the bigger jobs um, that they now, because they've been growing acquisitively, a lot of the clients yeah. they had were reasonably small, but as they were, you know, with mm. size comes opportunity, doesn't it? Yeah. Sometimes. And were you kind of uh, like 
enjoying loving doing the accountancy at that time really already. enjoying yeah. it and the var- variety into... you know i was doing all sorts yeah. of different things i was doing um i was doing accountancy i was doing audit i was doing um cons- consultancy i was getting mm-hmm. involved in um grant auditing i was getting involved in we did a piece of work for i got involved in the internationals team who were doing um, work for the department for, for international development right different okay. um and that took us off to south africa and tanzania Cool. Um, so we did some <laughs> some pretty cool um, uh, work out there, you know, where Diffid had sent money um, to South Africa to be spent on projects, and then mm-hmm. somebody then needed to go and make sure it had been spent appropriately. <laughs> um, so, uh, so okay, I think cool. I think we did two or three trips out there. Yeah. Um, one was pretty memorable in that we. Um, we ended up getting mugged on our first night Did you? <laughs> wow. by a gang of six, uh, probably 16 to 18 year olds yeah. with, with machetes. Really? Wow. <laughs> so okay. that was, what does that, that, was feel, a, what does that feel like? Not good. <laughs> no. no. Was it in a remote area or in a city or? Yeah. So we, we'd landed in um, Dar es Salaam mm-hmm. and we were staying in a hotel, which was maybe, um, which we thought was actually quite close to this, to another hotel which where we were going to go for for some food yeah and we decided to walk foolishly right um and so and it was just and i'd never experienced this before but it had gone from dusk to night time within a literally we were walking along and the sun was out yeah literally the sun went down dusk and then dark almost into and as we walked around this bend, so this um, group came out of a bit of scrubland. Mm. And so it was quite remote. It was almost, it was sort of a bit of wasteland with um, a bit of a beach. Yeah. And um, yeah, they came out and um, wanted obviously our wallets and phones. Yeah. Um, but having not really slept the night before well, on the plane. Yeah. Um, we were all a bit dazed anyway, um, and it was pretty frightening, to be honest yeah, with you. I'd, ne- I'd never experienced anything How like many of you were? There, was, um, there were three of us. Right. Fortunately, unfortunately, one guy managed to run away. Right. Um, I kind of got tackled by <laughs> two or three of them, um, and we, well, I don't really know, we ended up sort of wrestling, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and then I'd managed to get my hands free and get my wallet and my wallet and my two phones. Yeah. And I sort of threw them into this scrubland. Yeah. And shouted through them and and uh, and got them away. But I was on the floor with my foot up in the air, only wearing flip flops. Yeah. With a guy over the top of me with a machete. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean well. that was. Um, do you know, I didn't know what I was going to do, what my flip-flop was going to do, do, you know, to block a machete. Yeah, yeah. But it was pretty frightening. And then I'd managed to kind of, because I threw my wallet, the couple of guys went for, the, went for my wallet. Yeah. And then the, um, the guy who was leading the trip was, um, I sort of turned around and they had him kneeling on the floor. Um, and the guy was behind him with a machete and he just... It was... Uh, and, Stuff of nightmares. And... I don't really remember how it how they ended up leaving. Right. I think 
Oh, that was the, the guy. Um, the other guy came back. He got managed to flag someone down because nobody would get out of their cars. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was almost like their car lights were on us, like just watching. Right. And this guy, he came. The, the third guy came back, and um, and I think that's what sort of scared them off. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's kind of Sarah, my wife, would say it's it has impacted on my kind of um, view of situations. Okay. Much yeah. more kind of cautious yeah um we went to america on our honeymoon and we're in san francisco mm. <clears throat> i don't know if you've been to san francisco but you can know. kind of it's a really cool city but you can kind of go from a really really sort of high-end block mm. to a reasonably um desolate area quite quickly mm. and that happened to us and i you know i get quite sort of a bit yeah, more, a bit wary. A bit wary. <laughs> yeah, um, and and definitely, um, it's definitely subconsciously somewhere deep is yeah, a yeah. Um, a much more um, cautious person when I'm not in a situation that I that I sort of know. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, can I mean, I have no sort of no sort of real immediate um, issues from it, but yeah, you can yeah. definitely. Um, in a dark alleyway, I'd probably be more cautious than than yeah, some. Yeah, well, it's got an extreme thing, isn't it? And that sort of stuff. And the problem is, you, you don't know. You don't know what. Um, I think you know. In the country, you don't know. You you don't you don't know what value they got for life out there. Yeah. Do you know, yeah, would they? Yeah. What would they do to get a phone? Yeah. What would they use to get a wallet? So my view was you can have whatever you want, you know. Yeah. It's their things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cars can be cancelled and phones are phones, you know. Yeah, yeah. Plus they weren't, the, the, one of the phones wasn't mine, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So, um, so yeah, I, so I was kind of in this central, um, central um, team and really, really enjoying myself. But, it was probably, I think it would have been September 2009 that I started talking to the partners that, that then was Ballard Dale Siri Watson. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> about potentially moving um, to, uh, to join them mm -hmm. um, as a first phase of succession. Okay. So, at the time, so it was Bill Ballard set up, um, I'm not sure what he called it back in those days, but probably ballards. Yeah. <laughs> um, or bills. Or bills. <laughs> um, and um, and then my old man left PKF, Panoka Forster, which was quite a big firm, right. and joined Bill, okay. um, joined forces with Bill. Okay. Um, so it was Ballard Siri. Okay, right. Um, and then a few years later, they Douglas Dale joined the practice so mm -hmm. he used to be the dale part i think it was the dale partnership in worcester right so he sort of merged with them and it became ballard dale siri right <laughs> it's getting a bit long <laughs> getting a bit long and then um and then matthew watson um who had a practice with his uh dad in joyrich yeah and his dad was retiring and matthew um also merged with the firm so it became Ballard Dale Sri Watson, <laughs> LLP. <laughs> so you can imagine the um, trying to tell people what your email address was. Given what problem I had with LLP. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, um, and, you know, they, they'd done amazing things with the business, you know. Yeah. Um, well, Bill has 
started from nothing. Dad joined him with um, a, a number of clients um, that he brought out, EKF. Yeah. And they grew the business. Um, they merged, obviously, with Douglas and, and Matthew. Uh, they built the business completely organically. Cool. Um, and um, I think their main mission statement was to, um, for for Ballard Siri, was to pay the school fees for four, for eight children. Right. <laughs> so that yeah. was, if there was a mission statement, that would have been the mission statement. It. Yeah, fair play. Um, and um, <laughs> which they successfully did. Um, and then, um, so, but they're all of, so Matthew's young, Matthew's um, still in the business. He's mm -hmm. um, one of our medical partners. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> excuse me. He, um, but it was, they're all of a, they're all of a similar age. So mm -hmm. um, dad and Douglas were, um, the same age, mm -hmm. and Bill was two, two or three years younger. Right, okay. So I think they were quite focused on um, the year that they turned, dad turned 65, which I think was, was 2015. Mm -hmm. So 2015 for them was a big year. Mm -hmm. What was going to happen to the business? Um, yeah. you know, did they, you know, they put their literally blood, sweat and tears into the business. Yeah, you know, they, sure. they, they'd really done the hard yards. Yeah. Um, built a fantastic base of clients. Um, built a good team. But, um, uh, one thing I'm interested in with with a, a, building an accountancy company because accountancy is one of those things that you know everyone needs, yeah. don't they? Pretty much. And yeah. if they don't have one, they probably should. <laughs> it, you know, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, it's not something most people want to do themselves. But obviously, not every accountancy company succeeds. What do you think makes an accountancy company, say it's just one person starting out on their own, what makes them fail? Um, Is it just literally personal relationships? And I think so. I think it's relationships. I think it's service. Yeah, okay. And I think it's doing things when you, when you should be doing them and when you said you're going to do them. Mm -hmm. um, a big thing for me is communicating with clients at the right time. Mm -hmm. You know, we've... Uh, when we're you know out pitching our worst to new to new businesses and new clients, um, the one thing I'll say is you know, will I wake up every Monday morning and think about you and your issues? No, I won't. I can't. I've got too many clients. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but what I can do is build a structure to to enable me to be thinking about them at the right point. Okay. Yeah. Sure. And so it's imperative to me that all of the clients of that are um, that want all of Ballard's clients who want it will always be having meetings at the right point during their year. Mm -hmm. So let's say you've got December year end. Mm -hmm. I'd want to be talking to you at the beginning of October. Mm -hmm. um, a roundup of where you've what's happened. A roundup of what needs to happen between now and the year end. Mm -hmm. A look at any planning opportunities mm -hmm. um, so that we can go into the, the year end really knowing what the results are going to be. Right, yeah. Which means that once, we, once we've done the compliance bit, um, <clears throat> that meeting isn't really about the accounts anymore. 
mm-hmm. because we knew really it's kind of reaffirming what we were expecting was going to happen right okay but yeah, gone yeah. are the days of sitting down with your accountant and turning the pages of a set of accounts <laughs> do you know what I mean it wasn't I mean, that long ago for me with my old accountant <laughs> <laughs> you know to, to go can you turn to page four where I'll talk about that that's not really obviously we need to make sure everyone's happy with the account yeah, yeah. but we should know what they're going to say yeah so I then like to have that meeting as a kind of reaffirmation, really, as to what's happened, what it's meant for tax. Yeah. But at that point, like to pick up much more strategic stuff and, and try and actually get to grips with what's going on in the business mm-hmm. and how we can help clients um, strive to reach their objectives. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's about building relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like I, I'd like to think that I actually have a relationship with my clients, which um, is a bit more than just sort of client advisor. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like mm-hmm. to think it's. I never use f- f- friendship, but you know, it's 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 a it's a relationship where they liked. The, it's a personal relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And actually understanding what they're about. Mm-hmm. You know, how can you advise someone? If you don't know what they want to achieve. Yeah, you need to know a bit more, don't you? you I know to... it's, uh, it's the same with, I suppose, when I go in for, for photography or video yeah. and I start asking lots of questions and I feel a bit like maybe I'm asking too much, you know, yeah. for a, a photographer or video producer. And you, but you kind of need to know that stuff, know don't you? M- to... Know what makes someone tick, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And um, so, yeah, so, and almost in a way you can't, when you take on a new client, you can't change, you can't sort of pretend you're going to change the world overnight. Yeah. <laughs> because until you actually understand what makes the business tick and what makes them tick yeah. and where they want to go and yeah. what they want to do with the business, um, you're kind of um, sort of striking in the dark, really. You know, you've got to really, really understand what they want to achieve. Mm. So... Um, so that kind of coming back to the point, I suppose it's what makes accountancy succeed, accounting practices proactiveness mm-hmm. and um, doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, quite similar to other businesses yeah, in that respect. Exactly, exactly. When I, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> I suppose the reason I asked the question, maybe as I was saying it, I kind of thought. Yeah, it's maybe not such a good question, but it's kind of just that thing of like everyone needs you. Everyone yeah. needs an accountant, yeah. and, um, but and there's think, still got to be a differentiator. Yeah, and if you've got, you know, if you've um, obviously the more clients you get, the more structured you have to be. You know, yeah. a lot of my structure is run by the team. Yeah. So processes happen. You know, I'm big on process and big on automation. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't want to be waking up on a Monday thinking, right, which clients have got a quarter yeah. which clients are just entering their final quarter do you know that that information needs to be available so yeah. that the right people can do the right things mm-hmm. you know i got a great pa um mm-hmm. and it's you know it's she's not a typist you know she's an she organizes she has a relationship yeah. with clients yeah she's able to organize she runs effectively my portfolio underneath me, making mm-hmm. sure that the right meetings are happening at the right time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, and that means that clients get me when they need me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and obviously we're always um, with communication now. You're never quite sure. The problem, I think, the problem with communication now is you can be contacted in so many different ways. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you've got. I think it was um, ended up actually the other day starting to write a, write a list of all the things I all the messages I got because I got text messages, WhatsApp messages, yeah. Microsoft Teams messages, <laughs> emails, voicemails on the business phone system, voicemails on my yeah. um, mobile phone. <laughs> and you just you get know, a bit run away I often it. wonder if there's a platform that brings all of that together because you're right, like I'll sometimes miss stuff. Cause I've got clients that will you know, DM me on Instagram yep. to book shoots and things and yep. I don't have my notifications on because it's just too much. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and then you've got your LinkedIn messages, your, like you say, your WhatsApp, yep. your text, your email. And that, I don't know if there's something that just can hear all that and bring it into yeah, one place and ping it. I suppose Microsoft, there's, there's Zapier and stuff, yeah, isn't there? Microsoft's got a, a um, sort of to-do thing, which I'm not quite, I'm not sure what it's actually called, but a lot of the guys use it, which brings in all your tasks from all of all your Microsoft product, pro, right, uh, products. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, but, but con, but I think another thing is also allowing clients to have access to partners mm-hmm. and making sure partners are available to speak to clients and, okay, we, don't, yeah, and we don't yeah. hide behind kind of management structure sort of open door policy and air quotes yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah okay so they can add value yeah they can add value yeah we get another bombing (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) you drop some value bombs well um just just briefly uh one of the things that i picked up from you know what you told me what Stephen told me was your 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 desire to build a sort of happy and productive team and culture and everything and i think from what we've heard that sounds like it's you know, at the centre of, of, of everything you do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, I think it's central to pretty much any business mm. um, now, and if it's not, it should be. Yeah. Um, is the, I'd call it the happiness mm-hmm. and the belonging yeah. of the team. Yeah. Um, and I think team members have to feel really engaged and I think trusted. You know, mm. I think trust is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and feel as though they're empowered to do their job. Yeah. And uh, not just do their job, um, but sort of take it further. Do you know, I'm, <clears throat> I'll never complain if someone's done something outside of their remit. Mm-hmm. Do you know, as long as they're being proactive yeah. and are um, <clears throat> with the right intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, I think certainly during the last 12 months of lockdown mm. um, and the whole coronavirus um, pandemic, trust has been a big thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we With everyone working remotely and everything. Everyone working remotely, you know. And yeah. it amazed me how quickly, as a business, you know, we were always able to work remotely. Mm. But it amazed me how quickly we were able to get everyone settled mm. and <clears throat> trust people to do their job yeah and cool. you know people um people are engaged and um feel as though there's a joint purpose mm-hmm. then it's amazing how much people pull together and you know we saw mm. it in those first those first few weeks of the pandemic obviously as a business we were trying to deal with our own operational sort of points of everyone being at home but yeah, we were yeah. pretty central to a whole load of um, 
clients who were going through some chaotic yeah, scenes. Yeah, yeah, sure. And we were trying to keep on top of what was going on with the government sort of um, pack, help packages and... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You as they were coming out. Yeah, you know, right. So we were kind of trying <laughs> to help everyone else sort help sort of sort their businesses out at the same time as sort of quietly paddling under the water to <laughs> to 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 um to make sure that we were structured in a way remotely that yeah, um, yeah. and it you know instrumental to that um for me was we'd leading up to lockdown we decided to take on an HR director right okay we got to <clears throat> i guess we were maybe 60 65 people yeah and we were managing the business from a, um, you know, a lot of the management of the business was professional staff. Yeah. So we do most, we sort of allocate out roles um, between the professional staff. And I think we would have been a different business during lockdown if we'd not had an HR director whose sole responsibility was to ensure that our structures and our communication structures mm -hmm. um, were appropriate for the new world we were in. Mm -hmm. And she worked tirelessly across the business to make yeah. sure that, you know, because when you're in the office, you don't need to worry that someone's speaking to, um, you know, a first-year graduate every day because they're in the office. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. but suddenly you've got um, – team members at home who hadn't got that much experience yeah. because, you know, they might have been only been in accountancy for six months. Mm. How are we going to keep on top of the training? Yeah, yeah. How are we going to keep on top of the sort of mentoring and the sort of um, support that were needed? You know, people yeah. were going through a very strange time. Yeah. So she really helped us create the right communication structure. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the best decisions I made going in in the immediate sort of days after going into lockdown was I started up a weekly firm-wide update, mm -hmm. which was just in the diary for half an hour every mm -hmm. week yeah. on, on Teams. Yeah. And, you know, I never did that before we went into lockdown. <laughs> and you look at it and you think, well, well the reason Why I didn't, didn't I do that? Well, <laughs> I think the reason I didn't do it was because it would have, made, it would have meant getting everybody into a room yeah, right, okay. Yeah, and yeah. suddenly it becomes a lot more formal. Yeah. And suddenly yeah. you've got to have sort of something of a bit more substance to talk about. Yeah. Whereas it was about communicating what was going on in the business, what was going on with clients, what was going on with the the whole sort of rescue package, et cetera, for, yeah, yeah. for, for businesses. And I'm still doing it to this day. So yeah. we've, we've been doing it for over 12 months now. Yeah. And... Um, to start with, after the initial sort of um, burst of everybody being remote, I was starting to question, is this something that has legs? Yeah. How am I going to fill this <laughs> slot every week? Yeah, uh, we yeah. started thinking, well, do we need to bring in guest speakers? <laughs> do we, how, how are we going to keep people engaged? Um, and actually, a lot of the feedback was, we don't really want from the team. It was, we don't really necessarily want to hear from third parties what yeah. we want to know is we just want to know what's going on yeah we just want mm. to be feel communicated to yeah. yeah so it's completely i think you know whilst there's been you know this pandemic has been a dreadful um 12 months for all sorts of reasons mm. 
in other ways, you know, it's developed um, communication processes. It's brought businesses on probably five or ten years yeah. from a digital perspective. Certainly made people think about how they're doing all that communication yeah. and everything yeah. as well, hasn't it? Um, and I do a lot of work. Um, you mentioned at the start I've got an interest in tech sector. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of work in the tech sector. Mm-hmm. And I always find it fascinating how teams of software engineers can all be working and building a product yeah. <laughs> com- all over the world. Yeah. But they're working as a team. Yeah. Yeah. And um, because they're sort of that way inclined and their sort of psyche is digital, yeah. um, they're able to manage teams remotely. And they've been doing it, you know, a lot longer than the yeah. last 12 months successfully. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd always been super keen that every part of our business should be able to operate remotely. Yeah, yeah. Um, but never had, they'd never been the catalyst to sort of make it happen. I used to work mm. from home um, every Friday. Yeah. So I used to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday in the office, quite often went down to London on a Wednesday, mm. office Thursday, work from home Friday, which was great. It was kind of like a clearing of the decks, um, yeah. getting every, all the bits of work done that I've not managed to get to in the week, clearing mm. down the emails and sort of... Reset. Make, yeah, just <laughs> yeah. making sure I'm sort of ready for, uh, for Monday. Yeah. But I was remote. Yeah. And a little bit out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And it was, you, you, you weren't engaged really in the business on that day. Yeah. It was about clear, it was about James Siri mm-hmm. and sorting out what James Siri needs to sort out. And yeah. you couldn't really impact apart from making phone calls and sending emails. Yeah. You couldn't really impact on what was going on in the business. Yeah. Not, not really, because, yeah. because we were very, um, sort of office-based, mm-hmm. although we had all the systems. Um, but now the mindset change <laughs> to be able to fully be engaged, and now in this new normal that we'll be going back to once the, all the restrictions are lifted, we won't run any meetings not on Teams. Mm. You know, all yeah. meetings will now be on Teams or, or Zoom internally. Yeah, yeah. Because... Um, because there will never be everybody in the office together. So I now feel what's happened is we've enabled ourselves to be engaged even when, irrespective of where we are. Yeah, yeah. And and saying that as the sort of um, one of the leaders of the business, if I didn't feel as though when I was working at home, I was particularly engaged in everything that was going on, says a lot. Whereas now, you know, (laughs) everyone's at home five days a week. Yeah, yeah. So... um, do you know, whilst we'd never have wished this pandemic on anybody, it, 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 some of the changes that have come out of it have been really positive from, yeah. from a business perspective. Yeah, well, um, well, you have to, it's like we were saying at the beginning, you have to adapt, don't you, and, uh, and exactly. take those challenges yeah. and, and yeah. do something positive with it. And yeah. I think the, um, talking about adapting, the, I, I think going into the pandemic, I, people were panicking about sort of clients and things, but... I think the um, what I was trying to say to people is don't end, underestimate the business person. Mm-hmm. You know, someone that's built up their own business mm. or isn't. You know, don't underestimate their ability <laughs> to survive. Yeah, 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 and adapt. Yeah, and diversify. Yeah, and to remain relevant 
because this okay this is a huge issue you know this, the pandemic has been huge and it's been like nothing it's changed everything like nothing before yeah but businesses have evolved more slowly previously and yeah. changed over time this has been just much more um much quicker yeah and much more intensified um mm. well i've got clients who have gone from putting on events you know events businesses mm who were all about live, in-person events. Yeah, yeah. And they've pivoted their businesses. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and, it's, <laughs> and it's absolutely amazing. You've got yeah, the vision yeah. of somebody yeah. um, leading that organisation yeah. who's able to pivot a big business in order to remain relevant and survive. Yeah, yeah, and, that's um, interesting. And so I think it's... Um, at, the, at the sort of back of everyone's mind, in my view, should always be diversification mm -hmm. and looking for different opportunities mm. um in business yeah. um, i mean talking to you earlier your you know the way that you started and diversifying out into different areas um you know it's a classic way of of, of growing a business and we're as ballards you know we're very aware of change within the accountancy world yeah yeah you know um i joked about turning the pages of the accounts you know yeah um compliance accounts compliance you know maybe three or four years ago we were worried you probably heard of zero and things like that yeah, and QuickBooks, yeah, yeah. all this automation yeah we were worried about um sort of bookkeeping type businesses stealing the march on accountants a bit in terms okay. of year-end compliance so then going from just doing the bookkeeping to be able to automate the year-end stuff yeah what we've actually found interestingly is that by structuring our business appropriately for that type of client mm -hmm. we're able to automate a lot of the through year processing mm -hmm. so that we can become much more involved in that pro providing the client sort of real-time information as we go mm -hmm. which means that the year-end process is way more streamlined mm -hmm. so if you like we've we've been able to adapt ourselves to reduce our year-end service in yeah. line with the expectations of the sector yeah whilst remaining relevant and remain keeping our kind of um fee base yeah yeah um by doing a slightly different service to clients, yeah, you know yeah. so we've now got a team who are our real-time accounting team yeah and their their job is to work across the business to provide ongoing automated bookkeeping and management reporting for mm -hmm. clients to make the guys who are doing the year-end stuff make their job much more streamlined right yeah yeah so yeah just adapting to adapting to it the tools and everything and then when talking got, about yeah. my beginning of q4 meeting i've then got information which is up to date yeah to talk to the client about yeah, yeah. so that we can actually plan for the year end so the sort yeah, of whole yeah, thing yeah. sort of coming coming together but you know, the changes within accountancy is far more than just that compliance piece. You know, we are really stretching our minds now away from traditional mm. accountancy and tax advice. Yeah. You know, I, I would still say the bedrock of our business is accountancy and tax, mm -hmm. compliance and advisory, you know, um, and it always will be. Mm. Um, but um, we're focusing far more on the... Um, on making sure we're remaining relevant on the advisory side. Mm -hmm. So we've um, spent a lot of time um, 
and money, investing in people. Yeah. You know, we're a people business. Yeah, so it's yeah. about finding the right people. Yeah. Um, and that takes a long time. Yeah. Um, and Steve um, Jones, our BD partner, he's, he mm. was a recruiter. Mm-hmm. So one of the strengths that he brought to the business was um, finding people. Right, not, okay, not without yeah, recruiters, yeah. but working yeah, yeah. with recruiters, but getting yeah. the best out of recruiters. Yeah. Um, and um, developing a team of people who can advise um, and uh, on whether it be tax, uh, transaction services, you know, we're focusing on trying to have the right people for the right job. Yeah, yeah. Um, because as you, part of your introduction, I think one of my, if, if, if I was to say I got a strength, it would be that I recognise that um, there are people who are better than me at yeah. lots of things. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, we all have I'm, to recognise. I'm probably <laughs> not the best at anything in yeah, the business, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I recognise, and I, um, you know, we're very good at surrounding ourselves in people who are better than us yeah, at, yeah. at different things. You heard the, the story of uh, Henry Ford. I think he. I think he. Um, he took the newspapers or something to court because they'd been like t- saying in the in the in the press and everything that he was stupid and he didn't know anything and blah blah blah. And I think I think he took them to court and then they sort of they tried to prove, right. you know, that he 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 didn't know anything. And he I think he like basically brought in his experts, you know, the people that he surrounded himself with, and yeah. said, well, yeah, I don't know the answer to that, but yeah, he this will. person does. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. Um, and. Uh, and yeah, so whether that be internal stuff, like bringing in an HR director who knows far more about sort yeah. of people management than an accountant. Because yeah. accountancy is funny in a way, because people get promoted for being good accountants. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily being promoted for being good people managers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's and when a, you're dealing thing, with people, <laughs> yeah. you know, you've got to have a structure behind it, which enables, if you're not careful, you become client managers. Yeah, yeah. You know, all you're focused on is managing the client and then sort of secondary is managing the team. Yeah. Because actually, if you're going to do a good job for the client, you've got to be a really good t- people manager. Yeah, manage the people first and manage then the people, the people will look after the, the service. clients. You know, yeah. and a lot of yeah. our work still, um, a lot of it's referral-led. Yeah. You know, so there's, yeah. there's direct marketing and direct um, approaches and things and we do lead generation and all that stuff. Mm. Um, but, you know... You can't beat doing a good job for someone. Mm, yeah, um, you can't beat the word of mouth. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah. So we've we're kind of trying to position ourselves now. I I always I spend a reasonable amount of time looking at services that are offered by the likes of like Ernst and Young. Mm-hmm. So not that I want to be Ernst and Young, mm. but I want to understand the types of services that businesses like that are offering large sort of international corporates mm. and the consultancy that they get involved in and um, the way that the consultancy then sort of breeds itself into different types of sort of um, consultancy, which might not even be sort of accountancy or business-led. And and think about how that can then be relevant for ballads. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. And um, which I think kind of breeds breeds rather kind of innovation in a way it's not mm. it's not we're not coming up with a, we're, we're making these services relevant for our world 
yeah. do you know, for our clients. Yeah, so yeah, sure. James Maynell, who's one of our partners, came up from, um, we brought him up from EY in London. Mm-hmm. So he sort of headed up their operational transaction services. So, you know, like working, doing deals for private equity companies and then working with the clients on like these 100-day plans to try and improve the mm. businesses for them to be able to flip and um, mm-hmm. bolt on. And he got a great skill set, which we then had to make relevant to Ballard's. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, and yeah. it wasn't a £5 billion deal. It might have been a £5 million deal or a million pound deal. Yeah. Or not even that. Yeah. Um, and, um, but providing excellent service and providing that quality that he was used to delivering whilst he yeah, was at EY yeah, and making a, it relevant to um to to the Ballard's sort of client base. Yeah, that's a, that's a, um, that's a good point. Yeah, my, I've got a coach and he sometimes says to me like, you know, if you were to like 10 times your prices, what would you have to do differently? Yeah. Which I think is a really yeah, interesting question for anyone, isn't yeah, it? Like, no, it is. And then you start thinking, okay, I can do some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, well... So we've kind of... Um, from an advisory perspective, you know, we've got the recruitment business now because clients were asking us to help them with their recruitment. Right, yeah, okay. So we've got four-squared recruitment that does okay. lots of finance and clerical and now into legal mm-hmm. recruitment. We've just launched the um, IT and digital transformation um, consultancy arm mm-hmm. to the business. And, and that's fascinating because, like us as a business... Lots of our clients have kind of created their operational structure mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. So they will have, um, you know, worked out that this piece of software works for running their stock control system yeah, or their sure. purchasing system or whatever it might be. And over years, they've kind of bolted stuff together, and which has kind of allowed the business to function around it. And they've sort of brought together business process. Um, and one thing that we kind of recognised was that there perhaps wasn't somebody in the regions providing that kind of at the right price point, mm-hmm. the sort of digital um, consultancy to perhaps make sure that firstly operational sort of platforms were appropriate, but mm. also that the business process around it all mm. was... Um, was was fit for purpose and actually efficient um and it comes back to sort of me wanting and ballards wanting to not just tell a client their margins drop but actually or margins increased but actually help a client improve their margin yeah yeah a bit more proactive you know, way like more proactive yeah, and yeah, um yeah. and you know it's been it seems to have been taken really well so far cool um you know got a client who's put net suites in um and now they need to worry about the business process around it. You know, NetSuite's are great at putting the product in, but somebody's now got to work around the business. You know, they've got to be in the, someone's got to go into the warehouse mm-hmm. and work out how this new system impacts on the business. Yeah. And yeah. what should the new business process look like? And you can help with that. And we can now yeah, yeah, we can now nice. help with that. So 
Cool. Well, look, we've uh, we've absolutely smashed through the uh, <laughs> we hour long barrier. We've done an hour. We're coming up for an hour and twenty. <laughs> Goodness me! I know. I feel like uh, I feel like there's probably a hundred other yeah. value bombs that yeah. you could probably <laughs> you could probably drop. So maybe we'll uh, have to do a part two one day. But, yeah, um, no, really enjoyed that. Though. No, no, it's been 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 fascinating. I can tell you, you know, you love what you do, and you know, and. and messages of diversification and adapting and all of that is interesting to hear it from you know a, a very traditional sort of type of business I suppose yeah. Um, yeah. what's going on there so yeah people can find you at ballardsllp.com you're personally on the LinkedIn's James Siri which is S-Y-R double that's it <laughs> and uh, and the Ballards LLP uh, LinkedIn profile as well which you keep keep up to date so no once again thank you very much for coming in yeah been been great really enjoyed it and uh i'll see you soon yeah excellent take care you've been listening to the thriving three counties podcast with me dan barker you can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast if you've enjoyed today's show please head over to itunes and leave us a review helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region. Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.